called A Walk to Remember. Anybody see that one? Loretta likes that one. I heard over Andy. That means you like it too, whether you want to or not. <laughs> a Walk to Remember. I haven't, I'll be honest with you, I haven't seen it, but I've heard my daughter talk enough about it to where I, I think I kind of got the gist of it. Landon Carter and Jamie Sullivan were the characters in that movie. And to make a long story short, she is uh, dying of leukemia. I don't want to give away the plot, but I'm going to give it away anyway for you. So, um, She's dying of leukemia. And to make a long story short, he decides to marry her before she passes away. And so the walk to remember, although there's a lot of walks in that movie, the main walk is to walk up an aisle and give their their lives to one another. And that's the title of my message this morning. A walk to remember. Because throughout the Scriptures, Jesus is found taking a lot of walks. His disciples are walking. Obviously, they didn't have vehicles and uh, other than boats. They didn't have planes and trains and automobiles to get around in that day, in those days. And so, walking was the primary mode of transportation. And I thought a lot about this week, about all of the walks that Jesus took in His 33, however old you think that He might have been, somewhere around that range, years on earth, the walks that He took. I think about as a young child walking with His parents for the Passover in Jerusalem and then they're on their way back and they notice after a few days that He's not with them. And they walk back and here's this 12-year-old Jesus sitting around astounding the teachers with the things that He knows and the way that He speaks. And then we see Him stepping out into His public ministries, walking along one day by the Sea of Galilee. And John the Baptist is there and he looks out and he sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I think about Jesus one day walking by the Sea of Galilee and there's Peter and Andrew, their whole lives devoted to fishing. That's all they knew. That's what they did. And here comes Jesus. And He looks at him and He says, Follow Me. And I will make you fishers of men. And they believed Him enough to give up everything that they knew. Immediately, the Bible says, they laid down their nets and followed Him. I think about Jesus one day walking through a crowd and there was a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. She spent all her money on doctors. She tried everything humanly possible to get help. And nobody could help her. And she thought, my last ditch effort is to press through this crowd as a woman this was unheard of to press through this crowd, and if I can just touch the hem of His garment, I'll be healed. And as He walked along, she reached out, she made it through the crowd and grabbed that hem of His garment, and He felt the power go out from Him. And the issue of blood in that moment was healed in that woman's life. I think about Jesus walking on the road to Jericho, and there's a blind beggar standing by the wayside crying out, and the disciples tried to quiet Him down, and He just keeps hollering out louder and louder to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and he touches him. And the man's sight is restored immediately. And he can see for the first time in his life. Jesus walking in between Samaria and Jerusalem. And there's ten lepers crying out, unclean, unclean. And nobody wants anything to do with them. But Jesus would go to the ones that nobody else wanted to be around. And he would touch them when nobody else could touch them. Because their disease would have been passed on to any other person. But Jesus passes on His healing and righteousness to them. And the ten are made whole as Jesus walked by. I think about Jesus one night walking on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples are in a boat and they think He's a ghost and they're scared to death when they see Him coming. But good old Peter can't keep his mouth shut. says, Lord, I want to come out and step out of the boat and walk with you. 
And Peter gets out of that boat and he starts walking on the water. And then he notices the waves and he thinks, this isn't natural. I shouldn't be walking on water. Jesus can do it, but I can't. And he starts to go down. But Jesus reaches down into that water and picks up Peter and takes him back into the boat with him. I think about later in Jesus' ministry as it gets towards the end. That long walk from the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Gethsemane where He would go in and ask His disciples to pray and they were too tired, all they could do is fall asleep. And He falls down on His face in that garden and He cries out to the Lord God His Father. And He says, Lord, if there's any way, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will be done, but Thine. And He sweats great drops of blood in the grief and the agony that He thinks about that He's going to suffer in just a little while. And He gets up as the guards, the Roman guards come in and Judas comes to betray Him. And then I think about the walk that he takes to Annas' house and Caiaphas' house to be tried falsely and falsely accused. And I think about all the things that happened that night as he walks from place to place. I think about him being walked to Pilate's uh, castle and into the praetorium where he is going to be whipped and beaten almost to death. 39 lashes on his back as his beard is plucked out and he's spit upon as the crown of thorns is placed on his head. And yet he continues to walk with one thing on his mind, and that is the cross that he is going to go to. I think about him taking that mile-long walk, beaten half to death, thirsty, been up all night, carrying that 75-80 pound beam on his back up that road, just like Andy said, with us on his mind, with you on his mind. He had one object in mind, and that was to glorify the Father and finish the work that God sent him to do. He loved you enough that He wouldn't quit. He walked that final walk up Calvary's hill and willingly laid out His hands and His feet to be nailed to a cross for you and for me. And on Friday, He gave up the ghost. The Bible says He cried out, it is finished. His spirit left Him. Hell celebrated. Rome was happy it was over. The Jews were excited to have this troublemaker gone. They placed Him in a borrowed tomb. They rolled a stone in front of it. And on Saturday... Questions and confusion reigned. Nobody knew what was going to happen. There was defeat and discouragement among the disciples. They thought we have given up our lives for this guy. We thought he was the Messiah. We followed him and now he's gone. And we don't understand why all this had happened. But friends, Sunday was coming. Sunday was coming and it's here today. And I want to pick up now in our, in our story here in Luke chapter 24. And we're going to go down through this. I'm not going to read every verse. But I just want you to see some things that leapt out to me this week. Verse 1, the ladies are coming very early. So we're Sunday morning. The ladies are on the way to the tomb. They're going to finish preparing the body. Remember, this took place in such haste on Friday. They wanted to get Him off of the cross and into the tomb before Passover. And so there was no time to do any of this. But now that the Sabbath is over, and now that it's the first day of the week, they come, and they want to properly prepare the body. And so, these ladies arrive, and in verse 2, imagine what they must have thought when they go up to where this huge stone has been placed in front of the tomb, where Roman soldiers had been stationed to make sure no one would steal the body. They're gone. The the stone is rolled aside. And look at verse 3. They went in and did not... Find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
I don't care what religion you follow. If you're a Buddhist, you can go over and you can find the bones of Buddha. If you are a Muslim, you can go over and find Muhammad's bones. You can go on down the list of every religious leader that has ever lived and spoken about being God and a way to heaven, and they're buried and dead in the ground today. But my friends, if you ever get to go to Jerusalem, you'll find a garden tomb still to this day. And it's the most boring thing that you'll ever go look at. Because you know why? There's not a thing in it. It's empty. But that's the best news in the world. Because if that body was still in the grave, we are wasting our time here this morning. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the Bible says we are still in our sins. We are of most men most miserable, the Bible says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But that tomb is empty, my friends. And that changes everything. Because Jesus forever proved that He was who He said He was. And He shows us that He has power over sin, death, and the grave. And that changes everything for us. It changed everything for them. They went from scared, frightened people hiding in an upper room to boldly proclaiming their faith and even laying down their lives. Because they had seen Him. They had touched Him. And they had believed in Him. And we call you today to that faith. We call you today. We ask you, do you know this Jesus? Do you believe this Jesus? Has this Jesus changed your life? Forever. They look in that tomb and there's nothing there and they don't understand. Verse 5 says, they see these angels and as they were afraid, the ladies were afraid, they bowed their faces to the earth. And listen to what the angels say to them. Why do you seek the living among the dead? There are so many people today trying to find life in dead things. You'll never find life in the world out there. Oh, you might find some things that are exciting, that are fun, that are enjoyable. But all those things that are out there will come to an end. All of the fun and the excitement, whether it's for a day, a year, or even a lifetime, when you close your eyes in death, everything this side of eternity ends. But everything on the other side just begins for you. That's the difference between laying up treasures in heaven and spending your whole life chasing things on earth. One you'll keep forever. Everything down here you'll lose. Or it'll end up passed down. I tell our church all the time. All of the things that you love so dearly will end up in garage sales, in an auction, or on eBay. Nobody wants your junk. You may think that, oh man, I can't wait to give my kids this stuff. Ask your kids today, when you're sitting around at Easter dinner and you look over at your pretty hutch full of china, and you tell them, one of these days, guys, you're going to get that hutch with that china. You think they're going to be excited about that? They could care less. But if you point them to Jesus, and you lay up things in their heart that can't perish and can't be taken away, when you close your eyes in death, you can know that your family and your friends that you pointed to Jesus are coming with you. And that's something to get happy about. That's something to get excited about. Don't seek the living among the dead. You won't find Jesus among dead things because He is alive today. But I want you to see something from this story. I love this story in Luke's Gospel. And I hope it gives you some help, some encouragement, and also today some hope. There are some disciples taking a walk of their own. And we'll pick that up in verse 13. And I want you to see a couple of things, three things today real quick, from the life of Jesus that happens in the life of these disciples as they're walking. They're on a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. And along the way, 
They're having a conversation. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us everything that they talked about, but seven miles is a pretty good walk. Even if you're in shape, you're looking at well over an hour to walk seven miles at a clip. You're moving. Probably an hour and a half, two hours, more like it. And so, they're walking along. And I want you to see something. Number one, if you take notes, you can write this down. Jesus comes to us in our weariness. Jesus comes to us in our weariness. Think about these disciples today on this seven-mile walk. Look at verse 13. It says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So they're discussing everything that has taken place specifically on Friday and even into Saturday. And the news that they may have already received about the tomb being empty, what the ladies had seen or what they had not seen. But look at verse 15. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. The first thing I thought about when I read that is, these men are walking along and they are talking about things, but they're not looking for Jesus. Why would they be? At this point, why would they be? Their last recollection of Jesus was on that cross, being taken down, the body being taken down and placed in a tomb. That was their last memories of Jesus. So why, during this walk, would they be looking for Him? They weren't. They weren't. But here comes Jesus into their presence. Let's continue on. Look at verse 16. It says there, their eyes were restrained so that they did not know Him. That seems like a strange thing. Wouldn't Jesus want to reveal Himself to these discouraged men that were questioning everything that happened? Why would Jesus come along, start walking with them, yet intentionally keep their eyes from being able to recognize Him? Here's my answer to that question. They had seen with their eyes enough of Jesus already. They didn't need to see Him again with these physical eyes. What they needed, now more than ever, was faith. We walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. You see, blessed are those that believe without seeing. And so, Jesus intentionally masks their eyes from just seeing Him again because He wants to do something in here. And He wants to do something in here for you and I today. They needed faith. Someone said once that human knowledge must be understood to be believed. But divine knowledge must be believed before it can be understood. There's a difference in these things. But notice this in verse 17. He says to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have had with one another as you walk and are sad? They're standing there looking sad at Him. Can you imagine that? They're walking along, they're talking. Jesus stops and He asks that question. And they're kind of bewildered. They're kind of like, are you serious? Like They ask Him, are you the only one that doesn't know what's been going on this weekend? Where have you been? You know, and it says that they just stood there looking at Him 
sad, just staring at Jesus. And then they begin to tell him about the things that had happened. They're telling him, the Son of God, about the things that the Son of God that they can't see yet has done. Alright? So that's the scene, if you can picture that. But I want you to notice something in verse 21 that continues to make this point that I want to drive home about faith. They say, we were what? We were hoping, we were trusting, we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. And indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things had happened. As Jews, they thought the time was just about past now. If He was going to rise from the dead, it's over. It's too late. But I like what they said there. We were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. They had trusted Him. They had followed Him. Because they could see Him. They saw the miracles. They saw Him doing all these things. But now He's dead and buried, so they think. And now they can't figure it out. And Jesus is going to show Himself to them later. But right now He wants them to see Him by faith. Because in Hebrews 11.1, the Bible says this, Now faith is the assurance or the substance of things what? Hoped for. What is faith? The assurance of things hoped for. See? They need faith. They were hoping, past tense. Jesus wants them to have hope, present tense, which continues to go on and doesn't end. He's trying to bring them to a place of faith. Because there is not a single person on earth or in this room that seeks Jesus on their own. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. There is not any that seeketh after God. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And while these discouraged, bewildered men walk a road to Emmaus thinking everything is over, Jesus once again comes looking for them. And if you've come in here today on your walk of life and you're skeptical and doubting, you're discouraged and downtrodden, wherever you're at, Jesus will join you in that journey. But you may not see Him yet because it's going to take faith for your eyes and your heart to be opened. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please Him. It's impossible not just difficult it's downright impossible but when God calls you when he knocks on your heart's door and he says come unto me all you that are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest and you say man I need that rest not just a physical rest but a spiritual rest a rest from trying to be good enough to make it to heaven a rest from trying to work hard enough to make it a rest from never knowing when i stand before god if i'll make it into his kingdom or not you can rest in the person of jesus christ you can rest in the finished work of jesus christ you can rest in a resurrected savior that defeated death for you so that you can have the promise of life in him that's the rest that jesus offers to weary souls today he comes alongside of them And He walks with them in their weariness. Number two, Jesus communicates to us by His Word. Now think about this. 
He comes to them. He's trying to teach them faith. He wants them to see Him again, but He wants them to see them with eyes of faith first and physical eyes second. So how is that going to happen? How is it going to happen that these disciples get faith? And how is it going to happen for you and me to have faith in our lives? Look at what Jesus tells them beginning at verse 27. And beginning at Moses, so the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament was very important to the Jews. Who wrote those first five books? Moses. So, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, the prophets that spoke and testified of Jesus, like Isaiah, Isaiah that said, Behold, the virgin will conceive and bring forth a son. Like prophet Micah, who said that this man would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. All of the prophets that pointed to Jesus. He opens up the Scriptures It says He expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. The things concerning Himself. Why would Jesus open up the Scriptures to them to try to explain who He was? If He's trying to teach them faith, because according to the Bible in Romans 10-17, faith comes by and hearing by the Why do we preach the Word of God to you every Sunday and Wednesday and any opportunity that we get? Because it is the words of God that will change your life. You don't need another person to stand on the stage and tell you stories and jokes. You need somebody that will open up and say, Thus saith the Lord. That's what you need. I don't care how eloquent the pastor speaks. His words cannot change your heart. But I don't care how ignorant anyone is, if they open up this book, God will use them to proclaim a message to you today. Because it's His Word. The Bible says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Gospel, the good news contained in the Word of God, is the good news. That's what we need today. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Jesus Himself said to His disciples earlier on in His ministry in John 5.39, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of Me. The living Word Himself, Jesus Christ, is found in this living Word, the book, the Word of God. And you might think, well, that's a strange way. I just wish that God would just bypass the book, because pastor, I don't like to read, and I'm really not interested in church, so can't we just skip all that, and why doesn't God just come down and show Himself? Like, that would be so much easier for me to believe if Jesus would just have a seat in the chair this morning and let me come up and feel Him and see Him. Well, one day you will. But if you don't know Him as Savior, you're going to see Him as a judge. You're going to see Him as the righteous judge and you're going to give an account for your sins and He's going to say, depart from Me, I never knew you. And you don't have to hear those words come out of His mouth. Because He calls you today into a relationship with Him. Now think about this. Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, left heaven, became a man, lived a perfect life, died a cruel death on a Roman cross, was beaten and went through all the things that He went through, And yet, some of you here this morning believe wrongly that you can do enough good to make it to heaven. That was me. 
That was exactly what I thought. When anyone would ask me, do you think you'll go to heaven when you die? My answer was yes, because in the big picture, I'm a pretty good guy. I've done a lot of bad things, but I've done a lot of good things, and my bad things weren't that bad, and my good things were really good things, and so I'm pretty sure God will be impressed with me enough to let me in. How foolish and how self-righteous of me to think that God would send His Son to die on a cross, but He needs my good works to finish it off. If His death and His blood and His obedience can't get me or you to heaven, my friends, I don't care how good you are. I don't care how much money you give, how many homeless people you feed, how much time you volunteer. Your good deeds cannot pay the debt that only His blood could wash away. That's the only way. Based on the Word of God. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sin. God required a sacrifice. You say, why didn't God just show Himself to me? He did. He did in the person of Jesus Christ. And they all rejected Him still. Except the twelve. Everybody else saw Him. They touched Him. They heard Him. They watched Him heal the sick. They watched Him give sight to the blind. They watched Him raise the dead. And they still wouldn't believe. And you wouldn't either. You wouldn't believe either. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1-3, through listen to what the Bible says there. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also made the universe. Listen, the Son, that is Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. He has provided purification for sins and He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. What that's saying is, when you see Jesus, you see God. You say, I just want to see God. You see Him in the person of Jesus Christ. Not by physical eyes, but by faith. He came 2,000 years ago. He paid the price you need. He's coming back at any time to call His people out of this world and to judge this world in righteousness. The question is, are you ready? Because listen, if you're lost today, the last thing you want is to see God right now. That's the last thing. You say, if I could just see Him. No, you, no, you don't. No, you absolutely don't. Apart from Jesus, you don't want to stand before a holy God right now. Because the only way any of us can stand before a holy God is because we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. It's not us. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price, my friends. The Bible says, He became sin who knew no sin, that we might be made to righteousness of God. When God looks at me, He doesn't say, boy, that preacher's cleaned himself up pretty good and he lives a good life now and he wasn't worthy, but now he is because he does my work. No, no, no. He looks at me and says, the blood of Jesus Christ covers him. He's robed in the white robes that Jesus has given him and that's what makes me worthy and that's what makes you worthy. Nothing else will ever make you worthy. You don't need more evidence today to believe. You just need faith. All the evidence is out there. Did you wake up this morning and happen to see the sunrise? You think for a moment that is just an accident? Come on. I don't have as much faith as you do if you think all that's an accident. Those birds singing songs every morning. The trees blooming fresh and new. The beauty of a newborn baby that we sung about in that song. All of those things. You think that's an accident? I don't have the faith that you do. 
But if you would have just mustard seed size faith to believe that there was a God that created all that, that created you in the image of God that knows you and loves you and sent His Son for you, if you have enough faith to trust Him, I'm telling you what, your life will be changed this morning. Your life can and will be changed. It's not evidence that you need. It's not more proof. It's your sin that keeps you blinded to Him. And the only thing that can remove that sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, If the good news or the gospel we preach is hidden behind a veil, it's hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, faith is what you need. And only faith can come through the Word of God. And you're hearing that this morning. And you're going to be brought to a place of decision where you have got to decide, do I believe this or am I going to continue to reject it? That's the only two options. There's a broad road and there's a narrow road. There's heaven and there's hell. There's saved and there's lost. There's no purgatory. There's no reincarnation. There's no second chances. Where do you die is where you will go. Saved or lost. What will you do with Jesus this morning? What will you do with Him? He communicates to us by His Word in the last one. He communes with us in our wanting. What do I mean by that? He brings them to a place of decision. Look at verse 28. They drew near to the village where they were going, and He indicated that He would have gone farther. They have come to the end of this walk. He has given them the Word of God. They have talked things over. He has said everything necessary. And now they reach this place, and He's ready to keep going. He is ready to keep going. You see, Jesus will deal with your heart, but He's not obligated to keep dealing with your heart. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Harden not your hearts. If God is convicting you today that you are lost and that you are not ready to stand before Him, today is your day. Not tomorrow, not the next time, next Easter when you come back or whenever you decide to come back, if you ever come back. Today is your day. God is not obligated to deal with you ever again. And you are not guaranteed another breath. Every breath of air you're taking in, you're taking that from God's grace. Every beat of your heart that's pumping blood through your body is a gift of grace from God. And you are presuming on that every time you take in another breath and every time your heart beats without God. You're stealing from Him. Honestly, that's His. And He gives it to you. And you say, I don't need you. I'm just fine on my own. I'll make it my way. I'll do it my way. Well, you can do it your way. But your way will lead to death. It'll lead to separation from God. And that doesn't have to happen. So He brings them to this place of decision. He is going to go on farther. And look what it says. But they constrained Him, verse 29, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And He went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as He sat at the table with them, that He took bread, He blessed it, and He broke it. And He gave it to them. There's a verse of Scripture in Revelation 3.20 that says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears My voice and opens the door, what does He say He will do? I will come in to Him and dine with Him and He with Me. He brings them... Now in Revelation, He's speaking to the churches. Here it's an individual case. But either way, He invites us to invite Him into a relationship. He has come to have a relationship. Sin has severed your relationship. You are separated from God today because of your sin. And Jesus 
is the mediator that brings holy God and sinful man back together. That's the only way to bridge the gap today. is through Jesus Christ. And He offers to do that. And when they say, come with us, we don't want you to keep going. We want you to come and commune with us. Look what happens in verse 31. Then their eyes were opened. And they, they what? They knew Him. And He vanished from their sight. Their eyes are open. And they knew Him. And I believe they knew Him in a way that they never knew Him before. They had probably seen Him before. Maybe talked to Him before. Certainly had heard the stories before. But now they knew Him. A lot of you have athletes that you admire. Movie stars, singers, people in life that you admire. Maybe you know them personally. Maybe you just know a lot about them. So that you have studied them and watched them so long you almost feel a connection to them. But if you went and knocked on their door this morning, they would have no clue who you are. But these disciples now know Jesus. And better yet, they're known by Him. Their eyes are opened because they trusted now. They had heard in the Word of God who He was. And they believed it. They believed that, hey, that good news we heard about that tomb being empty, if He is who He says He was, He's alive. He's alive. And we believe it today. And their eyes were opened. Today, our prayer has been all week for you that your eyes would be opened. That you would see and know Jesus personally. That you would understand exactly who He is. Not just the stories. Not just the things that you have heard in church. I'm not calling you today to join a church. I'm not calling you today to get baptized. Or to memorize Bible verses. I'm calling you today to turn from your sins and trust Jesus. All the other stuff happens afterwards. Joining a church, getting baptized, having a Bible with your name printed on the front of it and a card filled out and all that stuff, that's all fine and dandy, but none of that will save you. The call today is to simply trust Jesus. To see Him by faith. To see that the One who died on that cross was truly the Son of God. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That gave His life for you. That is the Savior that we're talking about today. You say, Pastor, I want that. I want that today, but I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. You believe. You trust Him. You just trust Him. You say, it can't be that easy. Don't I have to give some money or do some work? What about the thief on the cross? The thief on the cross that was dying next to Jesus. And he said, would you please remember me when you come into your kingdom today? And Jesus didn't holler down, hey, soldiers, this guy's making a profession of faith. Can we get the tub ready and baptize him? Do you care if he goes and does some good works and comes back and then we'll finish this up? He looked over at him and he said, today, you will be with me in paradise. That's what he said. That's all. That's all it took was for him to believe that that man on that middle cross was the Son of God. And he trusted Him. The Bible says, By grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish 
but have everlasting life. Paul and Silas were in a jail in Philippi. It was about midnight. They'd been beaten and scourged, and they're in the jail cell singing and praising God because God is bigger than your circumstances. And even though they were hurting and even though they were imprisoned, they weren't going to let that stop their worship. And all of a sudden there's an earthquake and the jail cells swing open and the guard is scared to death. He thought everybody escaped. And they said, we're still in here. Don't worry. And he falls down on his face before them. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they didn't tell him, get up and go join a church and get busy and get active and get you a Bible and become a Sunday school teacher and do all these things. You know what they told him? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your house. Over and over and over, the Bible calls you to simply have faith to be saved. And that's what we're calling you to do today. We're going to sing a song of invitation. I'm going to invite Phyllis and Daryl, Kim to come. And we are going to have a time of invitation. You say, this is my first time in church. I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do right now. But I just know that my heart is beating out of my chest. That I wish you'd quit talking so I could get out of this room. Because I don't want to be here any longer. Because I don't know what's wrong with me this morning. I know what's wrong with you because I've been there. God is dealing with your heart. He is calling you today. That uncomfortable feeling is calling you to get comfortable. It's calling you to come and know Jesus. It's calling you to lay down your life. You say, what am I supposed to do? You just come in faith. I will be glad to pray with you and talk to you, but I can't save you. But if you will cry out and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy. I believe what Pastor said this morning from the Word of God, and I want to be saved, and I want to be right with you, and I want to know that I'm ready to go to heaven when I die. If that's your heart's desire, you come this morning. As we stand and as we sing, we ask the Lord God to deal with your heart. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this invitation. We pray you're working in hearts already and that your will would be done now as we give this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.